back down and shut your trap. It's time for keeping, keeping it sports, sports with them three. Are you ready? Are you ready? Well, I'll need some beer. Are you ready? You have to ask me nicely. Come on now, don't be bashful. Are you ready? place for the best sports talk and news surrounding each league. I can prove it with my usual flawless logic. Hey man, this time I'm gonna do it my way. Uh, what's your name again? And now, here's your host, M3, Mike Rosansky. Good afternoon, everyone. How's everything going out there? Coming to you from Cherry Hill, New Jersey, it's time for Keeping It Sports with M3. Powered by the Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Once again, hope you're all having a great afternoon. Hope everything's going well for you here on this Monday, the 21st day of March. It's officially springtime, although it doesn't, it doesn't completely feel like that here on uh, the East Coast. going to be kind of a mixed bag on that for the next couple of weeks, but I digress on that. Oh, we're right in the middle of it, people. One of the best times of the sports calendar. A time that you love. It also aggravates you, of course, with it being March Madness. We'll get to more on this uh, madness as uh, the hour goes on because it's really been a, a maddening uh, time. I, th- I mean, I think you know we can all do one thing right now and that's you know tear these in half because a lot of us had our brackets destroyed over the weekend in certain circumstances but as i said i'll save a lot more of that as we go on here because you know i i wanted to start off with what was probably the most surprising news that came out of this entire week. News that, quite frankly, none of us saw coming, but once it was made official, we really should not be surprised about it. And that was late Friday when it was announced that the Cleveland Browns of all teams are the winners of the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Now, last week, when last week started, you heard about the Saints and the Panthers both wanting to talk to Deshaun Watson and how he was going to meet with both of those organizations. Then as the week went on, you started seeing people like Ian Rappaport and Adam Schefter say, a wild card team in the mix here, watch out for the Atlanta Falcons. And that one started to make a lot more sense to me than the Panthers, considering he's from down south. He's considered you know, a legendary high school and college football player down in those parts. You have a pretty good team in Atlanta that, you know, has an aging quarterback in Matt Ryan that they're looking for the opportunity to move on from. 
and probably the you know most certainty at the head coaching uh, position. So I figured, oh, Atlanta was going to be the spot. You know, Carolina. You know, kind of still the jury is out on Matt Rule, and that the Saints are beginning anew with Dennis Allen as uh, their head coach. So I f- figured Atlanta was going to be the team. When I started here in Cleveland in in the mix there, like no big-time players usually go to Cleveland by choice. It's either you're drafted there or you're going there in a trade. No, Odell Beckham Jr. couldn't wait to get out of Cleveland. That's why you, know, you can argue that he kind of forced his way out there uh, last year and originally you know Thursday you heard oh they were out of the mix but then things changed within 24 to 36 hours when Deshaun Watson agreed to be traded there once they threw at him one of the most insane contracts in NFL history. Now, they threw at him a five, a brand new five-year, $230 million contract. And remember, Deshaun was only one year into that original four-year, $160 million contract extension that he had signed with the Texans. And he only made $10 million off of it because that contract was extremely backloaded, was going to be extremely team-friendly for that first year that any team traded for him. Well, now this one becomes even more team-friendly, becomes even you know, more insane in the first year because, yeah, you look at it on the surface, it's five years, $230 million fully guaranteed, the largest guarantees ever given to a player in NFL history. But next year's salary has a base salary of $1 million. And why was that done? Because in all likelihood, Deshaun Watson's not going to play much next year. In all likelihood, you know these 22 civil suits that he's dealing with right now are probably going to be settled in time for the preseason. And Deshaun Watson will likely face a lengthy suspension, somewhere between six to eight games. So, you know, they threw at him this kind of new deal saying, oh, we'll backload it. We'll give you $57 million a year for the final four years the first year, you'll have to take a bit of a haircut here since you're probably going to face a suspension for most of it. And that's why when you look at this for Cleveland, they're doing it based on 2023 and beyond. It's not for next year. Next year, you know, people can get all excited about it and say, oh, Cleveland, now you know they've got uh, Deshaun Watson uh, there as their quarterback. He's probably not going to play till the second half of the year, so I would not expect the Browns to be 
truly in the mix for the playoffs, even with the talent that they have surrounding on that roster. You still have two really good running backs. You brought in Amari Cooper. You still got Miles Garrett um, on that defense. They're working on trying to bring back Jadavion Clowney. So it's going to be kind of a, I don't think it's going to be a mess like it was two years ago under Freddie Kitchens, but it's not going to be what it's been the last couple of years um, where you're talking about them as an instant playoff contender when the season gets started. Browns fans are going to have to kind of curtail their excitement, but there is reason to be excited here. When the guy's able to play, he's one of the best quarterbacks in the NFL. And it shows you what NFL teams are, what lengths NFL teams are willing to go to for talent, no matter what you're facing off the field, what kind of scrutiny you have to deal with. Because there's a lot of people out there, I would say more than, uh, people than not, that are disgusted, disgruntled, unhappy with who Deshaun Watson is as a person. I, I've already seen quite a few Browns fans on social media that are saying, oh, I don't I don't want to be a Browns fan anymore because this guy's on my team. No, as I told you last week, even though He's not facing criminal charges here. He's not completely innocent. They just didn't have enough evidence to take this to trial. So, no, he can go out there and tweet all he wants. No, he tweets about two weeks ago, quote, when you stand on the truth, and he put that in all capital letters, the Lord will set you free. And he put the word free in all capital letters. And then the last person that should be commenting on all of this, Trevor Bauer, decides to tweet him over the weekend saying, quote, congrats uh, at Deshaun Watson on the new contract. Can't wait to watch you play again. Happy to see the NFL and their franchises are allowing you to continue your career after all the BS and lies you've been through recently. Onward and upward. The game is more fun with you in it, end quote. Now, Trevor, maybe, maybe you should sit this one out. You're the you're the last one that should be commenting on something like this with what you've got going on right now. People out there that are acting completely surprised and shocked by this, we really shouldn't. When you think of a what the Browns were willing to give up in trading for him, giving up three first round picks, a third round pick, and a fourth round pick including the 13th overall pick in next month's draft. They gave Deshaun a fully guaranteed record-breaking contract that's backloaded uh, beyond uh, the the season that he's likely going to be suspended. It's not going to hurt them too much in the future because as we see, the salary cap keeps going up and up and up. And you get a guy that, as I said, while his morals off the field are very questionable at best. And that's probably being generous. He's one of the most talented uh, players in the sport. And the Cleveland Browns have never had a quarterback like this. They want to change the narrative 
of what it is to be a Cleveland Brown. And in the future, Deshaun Watson gets to help them do that. Now, what's interesting here is they have a quarterback on the roster that they were willing to make a decision on in uh, Baker Mayfield. And Baker, remember last week, was putting out that goodbye letter to the city of Cleveland. Him and his representation were uh, requesting a trade. And originally the Browns were saying, no, we're not going to request uh, answer your request for a trade. Well, now he's going to get his wish. Now he's going to, in all likelihood, be traded because you're not going to keep Baker Mayfield around as to fill in till Deshaun Watson can play again or have him sit there as the backup when Deshaun Watson's able to play. So the question becomes, where where does he go now? And you got to look at the teams that were originally in the Deshaun Watson sweepstakes. Atlanta, Atlanta was looking to move on from Matt Ryan as it is. The Saints are looking for their long-term answer at quarterback because clearly they view uh, uh, Taysom Hill as more as being better for their team as a gadget uh, guy than anything else. And Jameis Winston is a free agent. Carolina tried to run it back with Cam. That didn't uh, work when they brought him in after another injury to Sam Darnold and now, Sam Darnold is showed last year that it wasn't just the Jets, that maybe he's not as good as we once thought he was. And there's other teams in the mix you look at here as well. You know, the Steelers, they signed Mitchell Trubisky, but are they completely locked in on Trubisky as their guy? The Colts, you know, they just traded Carson Wentz. They're going to be uh, looking for a quarterback, you know, Do they trade for Matt Ryan? Do they sign Jameis Winston? Or do they uh, decide to take a chance for a year or two on Baker Mayfield? There's also out there the Giants. Do the Giants decide to make a trade for Baker Mayfield? So there's a lot of teams out there in the market looking for a quarterback. And while Baker Mayfield's not great, he... He has more commercials out there than he does actual wins. He's definitely a useful quality quarterback. Somewhere, you'd probably rank him somewhere in the range of, I don't know, I'd say 14 to 21 range as far as the quarterbacks go in uh, this sport. What I find funny, though, is. The Cleveland Browns recently had reports breaking out that they were looking for more of an adult figure as their quarterback. And they trade for someone that has 22 civil suits uh, facing them and is all likelihood going to be suspended for um, a good chunk of the 2022 season. Yet they think that guy is more of an adult than someone who has more commercials on TV than he does have wins in his career. Very interesting how, you know, 
talent talks in this league. You can have 22 civil suits, and as long as you're a great quarterback, still uh, get a job in this league. But if you've got commercials and come off somewhat arrogant, or you decide to take a knee during the national anthem, no, we don't want you. All right, a lot I want to get to over this next hour here. As I said, I'll get to some thoughts on the NCAA tournament so far. Um, give you some uh, thoughts on baseball free agency. There was a, a lot that went down this week, a lot that had a certain fan base near and dear to my heart aggravated as all hell, try to calm them all down. And we'll get to more uh, NFL free agency as the hour goes on. So a lot to get to, a lot for me to talk about uh, uh, this week. So please sit back, relax, help, put your feet up if you feel like doing so, and continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. All right, welcome back to Keeping It Sports with M3. You know, if uh, not for the Sean Watson uh, news, there was a trade that would have been making bigger headlines, bigger uh, waves across the NFL because this one to me I still don't get it even as I sit here what 48 to 72 hours later I still don't understand why this trade was allowed to go down and not you know not by the league because the league will allow it any trade unless there's a high level of complaints unless someone's trying to supersede the salary cap with it but i i was stunned the other day when i saw the announcement of the packers trading devonte adams to the raiders now they're getting back of uh, a first and second round draft pick in the 2022 draft and the Raiders are giving Devontae a record-breaking extension for a receiver. He now becomes the highest-paid receiver in the sport uh, on a five-year, $141 million contract extension. 
But if you're the Packers, why the hell would you agree to this? Why the hell? Yeah, you're getting a first and a second round draft pick. But what's the likelihood that you're going to find someone as good as Devontae Adams with those picks? You know, it's not like Devontae Adams was a guy that you signed or traded for a year or two ago and he was a malcontent, um, albeit a well-played malcontent. This is a guy you drafted. This is a guy that's been a lifetime Packer and was the face of your franchise, Aaron Rodgers' favorite weapon, one of his favorite teammates. And you trade him away after giving Aaron Rodgers a brand new contract that, as we would come to find out, is not four years for $200 million. It's three years for $150 million, and it's structured in a way that every offseason they can go readjust the contract and readjust the parameters of it. So it's essentially three separate one-year contracts if you're really looking on on the surface. And Aaron, in a way, you know, gave them a bit of a break because the way that it is structured, it lessened his cap hit from being in the 40 millions down to the high 20 millions and allowed room for them to go re-sign some of his players. And you figure, oh, all right, with doing that, DeMonte Adams will be next. You know, He didn't want to play on the franchise tag. They'll get his deal done. Instead, they jump at the first opportunity of someone offering them a first-round draft pick. Are they being a little bit too arrogant here in the fact that you've got one of the best to ever play the game at quarterback, still one of the top quarterbacks in the sport, still playing at an elite level heading into his age 38 season will be 39 in December. Why wouldn't you want to keep as much talent around him as possible? It it didn't make it really did not make sense to me. If I'm a Packer fan today, I'm thinking, wow, 10 days ago, I was happy as all can be. Rodgers looks like he's going to finish his career as a Packer. And then we get rid of his tag team partner. And in all likelihood, we're not going to be able to find a player as good as that in the draft. It really, if you ask me, made no sense. Now, in the case of the Las Vegas Raiders, that's a great deal. It's it's phenomenal that you didn't have to give up you know, more than this because we've seen teams like the Seattle Seahawks give up multiple first-round picks for a safety. The wide receiver position has proven to be more uh, valuable in this league than any safety ever has been. And, you know, you give up these picks. He fills the void that was left behind with Henry Ruggs spending, you know, the rest of his prime years in prison somewhere. You get a guy that is not just a great player, but he's a great teammate. He's a model citizen. I mean, there, there's never been anything derogatory said about Devontae Adams 
off the field, at least that I can remember, at least that I can think of. So this is a, a winning trade for the Oakland Raiders. You get Derek Carr, a nice new shiny toy there in uh, Devontae Adams. You just added a pass rusher in Chandler Jones uh, last week, and you're starting to see it's an arms race here in the AFC West. All of these teams are lining up for what is going to be a war. All of these teams are looking at Kansas City and saying, you're not going to have an easy path through this division anymore. You're not going to just roll through things and think that because of the division that you're in, you're going to win 12 games, be the one seed in the AFC and get that first round by. No, these teams are going to beat the living crap out of each other en route to getting to the postseason. And there is a legitimate chance for all four of these teams to make the playoffs this coming year. I mean, you, you look at it, all of them have top 10 to 12 quarterbacks in this sport with Mahomes in Kansas City, Herbert in L.A., the Broncos just getting Russell Wilson, and the Raiders still having uh, Derek Carr, who's as underrated a quarterback as we have in the sport right now. And the other three teams have all made upgrades in this last week, not just with the Raiders getting Adams and Chandler Jones, but you look at the Chargers upgrading their defense, getting another pass rusher to pair up with Joey Bosa, getting uh, Khalil Mack from the Bears for less than what the Bears gave up to originally get him three seasons ago. And then signing J.C. Jackson to a, a big deal, giving him $40 million guaranteed. I was, you know, I was stunned that the Patriots just let this guy walk away, not even placing the franchise tag. Because even if, even if you thought that he was going to be unhappy playing on the franchise tag, as the reports are coming out of New England, you at least put the tag on him, and then you tell other teams, hey, come and get him. And get something for him. I mean, that's a, a rare misstep by the Patriots, if you ask me, because they've done nothing this offseason of significance as, as far as improving and upgrading their roster. And they let arguably their best defensive player go to the Chargers for absolutely nothing. And then you look at the Broncos. They've upgraded on the defensive end of things. You know, after losing a defensive player in the trade to get Russell Wilson, they go out and uh, steal uh, DJ Jones, one of the best run-stopping uh, defensive tackles in the sport, add to their defensive line there. And then within hours later, swoop in and get Randy Gregory from the Cowboys. Now, listen, Randy Gregory has had his own problems on and off the field, on the field and staying healthy at times, off the field when it comes to uh, getting uh, busted for uh, PED use. But the guy is still a very good player when available. Now, I know they say availability is the best ability, but when he's out there, he's a, a 
very talented uh, pass rusher and is going to add something to that Broncos defense. So the AFC West is going to be very fun to watch uh, next season. A couple other teams uh, you know, made some uh, big upgrades in this last week. The Bills, I thought it was a foregone conclusion that Von Miller was either going to stay in L.A. or return to the Denver Broncos, but he got a big deal from the Buffalo Bills, a deal that you don't typically see given to a 32-year-old in the NFL these days, especially a 32-year-old pass rusher. You think that's the year where they start to edge out of their prime? But Von Miller is... He's just a different kind of cat. He's built differently than uh, most. They gave him six years for $120 million with 51 of that guaranteed. So it's, you know, really they're paying for the first three years of Von Miller. And then it's a wait and see approach after that when he's 35 years old. Also added another tight end um, in OJ Howard to give another weapon to. Josh Allen there, but you know, the bills are not just, uh, sitting on their hands, resting on their laurels from last year. They were willing to let what was one of the stalwarts on their defensive line go in star Latouillet in order to bring in Von Miller. So they're realizing that you got to constantly change in this sport just because you're great one year doesn't mean you can just run it back with the same roster every year. There's got to be some kind of different mix, some kind of different gel to a room each and every single year. And that's what Von Miller's going to bring to the table as now a two-time Super Bowl champion. You know, the Rams, you know, that they gave Matthew Stafford a new contract extension of four years for 160 million, 135 guaranteed. A team-friendly uh, deal allowed them some more maneuverability uh, as far as free agent signings are concerned, and allowing them to go get Allen Robinson. But on the other end of that, they would trade Robert Woods to the Tennessee Titans for a six-round draft pick. You know, Robert Woods, who We'll see if he's ready at the start of next season coming off of a torn ACL. And I know, you know, there's a lot of Jet fans out there who are saying, wow, Robert Woods was got for a a sixth-round pick. Why didn't the Jets try to go after him? Clearly, you know, the the Rams were sending him to a team that he wanted to go to. He looked at the, the Titans, saw that they just got rid of Julio Jones, and realized he's got a chance to be the top guy there, be... Taste um, Ryan Tannehill's um, number one target. He wasn't going to come to the Jets unless you know he got a new sal- a new contract um, thrown in the mix there. And listen, Jet fans will be disappointed because they didn't we didn't get Robert Woods or didn't trade for Amari Cooper this offseason. But the Jets so far have had done a pretty decent job in free agency. They haven't broken the bank per se, but they've brought in some useful pieces. First off, they kept a couple of guys that are 
you know, glue guys that are guys you want to have your on your team that are winning type players in Braxton Berrios and uh, Tevin Coleman as uh, your second running back. Both of those guys I've wanted back on uh, this team, especially Berrios, because I kept having I kept having this fear that he was going to end up as a New England Patriot and be, you know, Bill Belichick's new Julian Edelman, Danny Woodhead, uh, Danny Amendola type player. So I, I was happy with that and that they're only paying him $6 million a year. So it's a, a pretty good deal that they got him for. But you sign a, a couple of new tight ends, including uh, CJ Uzama from the Bengals uh, to give a safety net to Zach Wilson. You had two players to the secondary in um, Jordan Whitehead um, um, to add as a safety, DJ Reed um, in the cornerback position, two guys that come from winning teams with Whitehead being a, a former Buccaneer and uh, Reed coming from the uh, 49ers. Two guys come from winning situations, be leaders on that defense. And you made another upgrade in the offensive line, bringing in Lankin Tomlinson uh, to play right guard. And now you've got you know, Vera Tucker at left guard, Tomlinson at right guard. The, now the, they're making the right moves, the correct moves around Zach Wilson. Now it's about them uh, playing it out on the field here. And while none of it is, you know, sexy, none of it is, oh, going out there and throwing $80 million at J.C. Jackson or making the trade and getting Devontae Adams. All of these, they're useful moves. And who says the Jets can't be, you know, a sneaky sleeper team next year? A lot of it's going to rely on Zach Wilson taking that next step and seeing what you do in the draft. But I think the Jets are off to a pretty good start in their offseason. You know, it's not insanity like the Jaguars did in a free agency. I mean, you look at some of the money the Jaguars are just throwing out around. You know, it's, it's one thing to upgrade your offensive line, getting Brandon Scherf, um, a Pro Bowl guard, um, to upgrade your line. But some of these contracts, you give um, you know, $24 million a year um, to Foye Olukakon as a pass rusher. You know, you give Christian Kirk, Christian Kirk, who's a nice wide receiver, a, you know, a number two, number three type of wide receiver. You give him four years, $84 million, making him the third highest paid receiver in the sport. I don't think anybody out there even thinks Christian Kirk is in the top 10 to 15 wide receivers in the sport. And you make him the third highest in the NFL and then giving $9 million to uh, Evan Ingram. You know, I know they had the most salary cap on um, space available, but they just threw around uh, money. It was, you're looking at them think, thinking, what the hell are the Jaguars doing? And there's got to be a lot of 
pissed off general managers around the sport right now, especially with the contract that was given to Christian Kirk, realizing that, damn, they gave an average wide receiver $21 million a year. Imagine what we're going to have to deal with now with guys who are better than them. So while Jeff fans will be somewhat disappointed, be happy that your team was not, you know, being stupid and potentially detrimental with how you use your cap space so far this offseason. All right, going to take a break here, come back on the other side and start talking about the NCAA tournament a little bit. A lot of uh, surprises over the weekend. Get to that and some baseball as we go on here. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot edit and post videos you become a pretty hot commodity that's the training you get at connecticut school of broadcasting connecticut school of broadcasting with locations up and down the east coast from massachusetts to miami call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to gocsb.com connecticut school of broadcasting the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools redefining training in radio tv and new media get trained get connected 1-800-TV-RADIO. Welcome back to Keeping Sports with M3. Remember, you can find the podcast anytime on social media on facebook.com slash keeping it sports with M3, as well as on Twitter at keeping it sports and my personal Twitter account at Rosansky. Also find it on Instagram at keeping underscore it underscore sports underscore with underscore M3 on Instagram. That's uh, the uh, handle for us. Now, you saw me earlier tearing half my... Uh, NCAA tournament bracket, as you can see here, if you're watching on Facebook, don't worry, brought a second one with me, and maybe I'll rip this one up after all is said and done, because we sit here now, we are a couple days away from the Sweet 16, got to take a little bit of a breath after what was a crazy wild weekend, and your boy only has, let's see, one, two, three... Four, five, six, seven. Yeah, only seven teams uh, left available. So there's no chance I'm winning my bracket pool. But, you know, I had a feeling that this thing was all going to hell uh, the other day when, I don't know, you know, 
I like to be different. Maybe I was, as I said, not paying att- enough attention to college uh, basketball this year. But I picked Tennessee to come out of the South region. And as we saw, Tennessee got upset uh, by uh, Michigan late Saturday night. So now Michigan will move on to be my favorite team in college basketball over the next couple days as I will be rooting hard for them going up against uh, one of the angst of my existence, the Villanova Wildcats, which if you know me personally, you know that my sister is a uh, Villanova grad. And for the last seven years since she first started there, I think it was... What, 2014, 2015, something like that when Emily first started there? My family has been insufferable Wildcat fans to the point where you would think that she was dating someone on the team, but I digress there. So I will be heavily rooting for uh, Jawan Howard's crew on uh, uh, the Sweet 16. The region that I got destroyed the most in it are the Midwest and the East regions. I only have one team left available in each of those. Uh, you know, Richmond was the 12 seed. I decided to take a chance on you know making them having them go on a bit of a run here to get to the Sweet 16, but they, they got knocked off by uh, Providence. Now the on the bottom half of the bracket I had completely wrong with you know Wisconsin, Miami and Auburn all getting uh knocked off uh, yesterday. Now it was a bad day for the Big 10 you, this last two days. You, you lost Wisconsin, you lost Ohio State, you lost uh Michigan State. You know a lot of the teams that you would expect to make big runs here, make deep runs in this uh, tournament for the Big Ten. Got knocked off, but there can be no bigger disappointment in this than uh, the Baylor Bears, who got uh, knocked off by uh, North Carolina. Now, now Baylor, they're the they were the national champions, so it's hard to have that much uh, sympathy for them. But North Carolina showed a lot of fight in, the, in their in their game against Baylor because they lose one of their best players to a flagrant two ejection uh, in uh, this game. Blew what was a 20-point lead. Um, and you, you're thinking, uh-oh, here comes Baylor. They're... They, uh, they're fighting back from down by 25 at one point. But North Carolina showed a lot of grit, a lot of toughness in staying alive in uh, the, this tournament. Now, of course, the darling, the, uh, the, the apple to all of our eyes right now is the two seed out of the East region, St. Peter's, who I will be perfectly honest with you. I did not know that university was in the state of New Jersey uh, before, you know, Thursday. I you know, was wondering, oh, where is St. Peter's? And then 
It's late in the second half of their game against Kentucky that they have a commercial for St. Peter's. I'm like, oh, that's in New Jersey. And I told by my family that my cousin Peter is actually a graduate of St. Peter's, ironically. And you know, what's uh, interesting there is uh, the head coach of is uh, a, a guy that went to the Sweet 16 uh, with Seton Hall about 20 years ago. Now, you hope that this run for uh, St. Peter's does not outprice him from remaining their head coach and doesn't uh, take the Seton Hall job as Kelvin Willard, Kevin Willard, excuse me, is leaving this week to go to become the head coach of Maryland. But it's a fun, exciting story. A 15 seed in the Sweet 16. We've seen this on no, three other occasions previously with Florida Gulf Coast. The problem here is the concern I have, you know, is not that the moment is too big for them. It's now going to be the, the time off here. Because remember, Florida Gulf Coast made it to the Sweet 16, was a Cinderella before and played a great game in the Sweet 16 before fading down the stretch and getting uh, knocked off. Now they're legends on campus already, no matter what they do for the rest of this tournament. But they've got three to four days to think about. Before they only had you know, less than 48 hours to think about. And sometimes heart, will, and uh, momentum can outplay uh, talent. And uh, this time off, you hope is not too much of an hindrance for them because how great would it be if we're sitting there over the weekend and St. Peter's is going up against North Carolina or UCLA in an Elite Eight matchup with a chance to get to New Orleans for the Final Four. I mean, and the, listen, they're going to have a humongous crowd there uh, later this week on uh, – now, Friday night when uh, they play Purdue because the game's taking place right across the river at Wells Fargo Center. So you got to imagine there's going to be a ton of St. Peter's alum in attending uh, this game. Now, as for the West, it's pretty much chalk all, all the way through as you got the top four seeds uh, alive. Gonzaga dealt with a little bit of a scare uh, from uh, Memphis there, but otherwise hung on there. Arkansas getting past New Mexico State. Uh, Texas Tech upending Notre Dame, which to me was more of a case of Notre Dame being worn out. Notre Dame playing three games of high-level intensity like that in a five-day span. They had the lead with, what, four or five minutes to go, and then just faded, could not make a shot in the last couple of minutes. And now Tech goes back to the Sweet 16, what's kind of been a regularity for them for the last uh, four or five years. But they're going to be going up against something that you really can't measure, and that's a will and a love for a head coach 
in a Duke program that this is probably the most pressure Duke has ever faced in their life because they know we lose, it's over. That is, they lose, Coach K's career is over. You know that they want to send him out on a high note. You know that those players are disappointed with the fact that they didn't end his final home game the right way and they lost in that fashion to uh, North Carolina. So that they're geared up, motivated, and want to give Coach K a proper send-off. Now, it's going to be difficult as all hell with the fact that you got to go through Texas Tech and you're going to have to go through either Gonzaga or Arkansas just to get to the Final Four. But so far, it's been a good ride for Duke. We'll see if it ends with a magic carpet ride and Coach K going out with one more championship on his resume. All right, going to turn my attention to baseball to close out the show because a lot happened this week. And unfortunately, my fellow Yankee fans are freaking the hell out. So I'm going to try and calm things down, even though I'm a bit aggravated as well. Continue keeping it sports with M3. I'll be back. Connecticut School of Broadcasting founder Dick Robinson. You know, the media business has changed a lot since we opened our doors in 1964. Now media content is everywhere, on air, online, on the go. More than ever, companies are looking for people to help drive this new media. At Connecticut School of Broadcasting, you'll get hands-on training on the latest software and equipment in a matter of months, not years. Connecticut School of Broadcasting has placed thousands of grads in broadcast media careers. It's all about versatility. You see at a radio station, if you also know how to shoot, edit, and post videos, you become a pretty hot commodity. That's the training you get at Connecticut School of Broadcasting. Connecticut School of Broadcasting with locations up and down the East Coast from Massachusetts to Miami. Call 1-800-TV-RADIO or log on to GoCSB.com. Connecticut School of Broadcasting, the nation's oldest and largest group of broadcast media schools. Redefining training in radio, TV, and new media. Get trained. Get connected. 1-800-TV-RADIO. A couple more minutes here, but you know, let's close things out with some thoughts on uh, Major League Baseball, where, you know, if you're a San Diego Padre fan player, or especially a member of that front office today, you have got to be aggravated as all hell with the news that's come out about Fernando Tatis Jr. Fernando Tatis Jr., who comes into spring training already with an injury, a f- the MRI's and exams showed that he has a fractured left wrist and will miss up to three months. And, you know, he started feeling this while ramping up, doing his activities, swinging the bat, 
at home preparing for spring training. But this injury, quite frankly, could have been avoided because in early December, if you're connecting the dots here, he fell off of a motorcycle at home in the Dominican Republic, an injury that at the time they said was just a bunch of scrapes and bruises. But now I think we're starting to find out that it was a little bit more than that and that that probably led to the aggravation of this injury. And you know, if you're the Padres, you got to be ticked off because this guy's coming off of an MVP caliber year, hit 42 home runs last year. In after they just gave him a record-breaking contract for a 21-year-old that wasn't even arbitration eligible yet. Remember, prior to last year, they gave him that 14-year extension for $340 million. And you know, it's one thing if he just got hurt doing baseball stuff or working out, but he got hurt because he was probably goofing around on a motorcycle. And you know, I remember when this happened with Aaron Boone when he got hurt playing a pickup game of basketball, but he was doing that as a way to work out and prepare for the baseball season, but he still lost his uh, salary for the year. The Yankees outright released him, and he didn't come back until the 2005 season. You know, if you're the Padres. you got to do some investigation here and see if the the dots are fully connected here and have an honest sit down with this kid. And if he does figure out a way to recoup some of that money, because this quite frankly, you should not be paying him to sit on the sidelines like this. It's as I said, it's one thing if he got hurt working out, but it sounds like to me, he was you know, and excuse my language. He was effing off. And that's what led to uh, this injury. And, no, quite frankly, that's not even the dumbest thing that happened in the NL West this week. Can someone explain to me what this, the Colorado Rockies are doing? Let's look at the last few years of the Colorado Rockies. All right. You traded Nolan Arenado to the St. Louis Cardinals and essentially have gotten nothing for him back. You, you also paid $50 million for the Cardinals to take him. Then you, instead of trading Trevor's story last year when you were never in the mix for a postseason spot, instead of trading him and maybe recouping a good prospect or, or two for story, you decide to keep him for the rest of the, the year and let him walk in free agency. And that didn't probably didn't help things because remember he was emotionally and mentally distraught after not getting traded at the deadline last year he had to take a couple of days away from the team because he thought it was a foregone conclusion all right I'm gonna go to a winning situation put up some big numbers and really increase my value and sign early in free agency instead he had to wait and Sign with the Red Sox after the uh, lockout was over. So you got nothing for him. So what did the Rockies decide to do? 
let's be even dumber and give Chris Bryant seven years for $182 million. And this is nothing negative toward Chris Bryant. Chris Bryant, very good player. No, not the greatest defensive player in the world. Can strike out a little too much, but has power. Is versatile enough that he's capable of playing both third base and the outfield. I don't think he's exactly a gold glover at any of these positions, but he's more than serviceable at uh, those positions. And he probably figures, you know, I got my ring. I'm going to go put up insane numbers in Coors Field for the next seven years or until whenever the Rockies are able to trade me because they gave him the most money that anyone was willing to give up for Chris Bryant, giving him uh, $26 million a year. It, it makes no sense to me what the Rockies are, are doing there. They've never been able to assemble any any version of a top-tier pitching staff to have long-term success there. They When they trade away players, they usually get ends meet return. And now you're giving a contract extension to a guy when you're not in position to win. I mean, you're going to be a doormat for the Dodgers, the Giants, and the Padres when they get Tatis back there. It, it really, it makes no sense what they're doing. Okay, Yankee fans. I've seen a lot of my fellow Yankee fans whining, crying, complaining across social media the last couple of days. And in some ways, you have a right to be aggravated. In some ways, you don't have a right to be aggravated. Now, I'll start with the Luke Voigt trade, a trade that I think we all knew was coming, a a trade that I think we all knew had to happen. You couldn't just keep Luke Voigt on this team, you know, as a role player on the bench because with the additions of Donaldson, with the fact that Judge and Stanton are here, You needed the DH spot to remain open for those three guys to have uh, a half day off. And you weren't going to keep Luke Voigt here with the fact that LeMayhew can also play first base after the Rizzo signing. Just to be like the third, third base, first baseman, excuse me, and play what, twice a week at the most? Plus, with his injury history, the fact that he always has some kind of oblique injury, I'm not sure what you thought you were going to get in return. So getting a 20-year-old pitching prospect in this kid, uh, Justin Lang, who who knows? He was a first-round pick but struggled in the minors last year. More of a lottery pick uh, that you're getting here. This is probably the best you could have asked for. You weren't going to get some humongous package in return from. You weren't going to get, you know, what the Oakland A's 
uh, just got for Matt Olson. So the whining, complaining there needs to calm down. And you have a useful first baseman in Anthony Rizzo. Is it the first baseman that would have been my number one choice? No. Probably would have been my number three choice of the options that were available. Even though I like Rizzo as a guy, he's a good glove at first base, and I think he will perform well in the this lineup this year. He would have been my number three choice behind Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman. And I'm not so I'm not so much annoyed with the Yankees not getting either Freddie Freeman or signing Trevor Story because I think a lot of the annoyance from Yankee fans in not signing Trevor Story is the fact that he went to the Boston Red Sox. Now, if Trevor Story would have signed with, say, one of the teams in Chicago or would have went back to the Colorado Rockies or been signed by the Giants or someone of that ilk, I think Yankee fans would be like, okay, we didn't, it sucks we didn't get him, but he went to a team that's out of our division. But because he's going to the Red Sox and changing positions to do so, going to play second base with them having Bogarts there at shortstop, that has Yankee fans up in arms. I'm not even I'm not even so much annoyed with Freeman. Because, you know, he goes to the Dodgers and the only time the Yankees will probably see the Dodgers is if they meet up in the World Series. My issues are more so with not getting either Matt Olson or Carlos Correa. You know, I get it. I look at the, the Matt Olson deal and I see the four prospects that the A's got back. And if you did the Yankee equivalent of this trade, it would be their number one prospect, Anthony Volpe, who we'll get to in a second. The young outfielder, Jason Dominguez, who we've heard about forever now, and he's not even 20 years old yet. Their top two prospects there. A catching prospect they drafted a couple years ago named Austin Wells. And a a pitching prospect they drafted back in... 2020 named Beck Way. That would have been the equivalent of the package you're sending to the A's to get Matt Olson, who's only 27 years old and an all-around great player who's got plenty of prime years left. That's why the the Braves, quite frankly, probably got a discount in the contract extension they immediately gave him eight years for $168 million. Well, probably well worth giving up the four prospects that they gave up. But when you take that and add it to the fact that, let's face it, you got worked over by the Minnesota Twins. In the past, the Yankees have been that team that will take the bad contract, dump it off to some you know, bottom dweller or some team that they could take full advantage of and use that money to go sign a better player at that position or add some top stud pitcher. 
Well, finally, it's come back around and somebody did it to the Yankees and worked them over, got them willing to take Josh Donaldson's contract in order to clear up some money just because they were the team that was willing to take on Gary Sanchez. And what did the Twins do? Five days later, as you're going to to bed late Friday night, they signed Carlos Correa. And it's not even like they've signed Carlos Correa long-term. It's not like they gave in to Carlos Correa's demands probably of a long-term 10-year deal. They got him for a deal that I think you're going to start seeing more and more in today's baseball, a, a deal that I think every team will ju- would jump at, a three-year, $105.3 million contract where there are opt-outs after each of the two first two years. So if Correa performs the level that we expect Correa to be, he'll opt out after this year when he'll still be, oh, only 28 years old and be able to make major buck again next offseason when he'll be the only top flight shortstop available on the market. And who does he have as his agent? Oh, yeah, that's right. Scott Boris. And Scott will get him the most money available. That had me so annoyed on late Friday night because like I said last week, yeah, there's Yankee fans that were are still annoyed about the Astros sign stealing scandal. But the first moment that he hit a walk-off home run or did something big to get the Yankees in the postseason and perform well in the postseason, as has been his habit with the Astros, y'all would have been running out there buying his t-shirt, would have been uh ignoring the whole sign stealing thing. Hell. There are guys that helped the Yankees win World Series in the late 90s that used PEDs. You know, not the core four Bernie or O'Neill, but there are other guys that were involved in that, that were doing PEDs at that time and on the late 90s uh, Yankees. And I know Pettit did PEDs, but that was, you know, slightly after the dynasty years. But you added $50 million for Josh Donaldson when you really didn't have to. And you could have put that money toward Carlos Correa. It's not even like you were committing toward Correa long term. You know, if this was still November or December before the lockout happened, Correa wouldn't have settled for this contract. But the fact that the regular season starts two weeks from Thursday... He needed to get into spring training somewhere. He's like, all right, the Twins, not normally my number one choice for a destination, but I'll settle for this for now so that I can get a deal done and get on a team somewhere. Now, the Yankees talk all about these two young shortstop prospects, Anthony Volpe and Oswaldo as Walt Peraza. 
by not signing any of these big free agent shortstops that were available, probably the best shortstop free agent class we've ever seen with not just Correa, but you had Corey Seager, who was my original number one choice to sign. With Story out there, with Javi Baez, I'm sure I'm forgetting a name or two. Hell, you could have spent $4 million on Andrelton Simmons as a stopgap guy. and Instead, you make the trade for Donaldson, who is going to be useful for this team, but he comes with his warts and add $50 million to the payroll for the, the next two years just to get rid of Gary Sanchez. You know, now you've put an endless amount of pressure of the, these two kids, especially Volpe, because Peraza, they project to be to be very good. The Yankees, you know, they talk about this kid, and there's a thought that he could be great. I I don't remember the last time a Yankee prospect, maybe other than Judge, has been talked about this much this millennium by the Yankees where they're falling over themselves every single time they talk about a kid falling over themselves in how much you know they believe in this kid's long-term future now if he's not if he's anything less than an all-star and puts anything up less than the numbers that you see him doing in the minor leagues Cashman's going to hear about it till the end of time. It's going to be something that hangs over him for the rest of his GM career where you could have gotten either Carlos Correa or Corey Seager who were both at the perfect age, that age that you would want to sign any top flight free agent, 27 years old. And in the case of Correa, because of the lockout, you didn't even have to commit to 10 years you could have gone, you know, one to two years, given extra time for this kid to develop. Now, the pressure of the world is, is on him. And listen, that's not the only thing I'm aggravated when it comes to the Yankees on this offseason because they've had a mediocre offseason. And we'll see how Donaldson and Connor Falea uh, play here in New York. Hell, the catcher that they got from the Twins is already hurt, so who knows when he's going to be back dealing with an oblique injury. You know, might want to tell this kid who's built like Popeye the Sailor Man to calm down in the weight room. But the bigger issue that I have is beyond just not signing Correa or trading for Olsen. A, it's the fact that there are players on this team that you know, may not be available for opening day because of some of the vaccine mandates, which I'll get to in a minute. And B, they didn't improve this pitching staff. There were so many pitchers available before the lockout that they could have gone after, but they were so conscientious of the luxury tax of, oh, we have to wait to see what the new luxury tax is in free aid in uh, the CBA that they let all of the best free agent pitchers that were available just go by. Now, it's one thing you probably weren't going to throw the crazy money that the Mets threw at Max Scherzer. But 
You could have got Robbie Ray, last year's Cy Young winner, or winner. He signed for $115 million with Seattle. You could have had Kevin Gaussman. He signed for $110 with the Toronto Blue Jays. Marcus Stroman got three years, $70 million from the Cubs. Justin Verlander re-signed on a one-year $25 million uh, deal with the Astros. Hell, he's he's not great, but he's a useful middle-of-the-rotation pitcher. Eduardo Rodriguez got five years, $70 million uh, from uh, the Detroit Tigers. And none of those guys you even tried to go after. None of them you even tried to chase after. You sat on your hands and just waited for the new CBA. And you're going into a year where you you expect Cole to be Cole even without the spider tack. And as but as much as I like Luis Severino, he's not pitched a full season since 2018. Missed all of 2019 pretty much. Outside of the final month, missed all of 2020 due to Tommy John surgery recovery. Didn't come back until late last year as only a reliever and pitched a a bit for uh, them. So you don't know what you can expect out of him in a full season. Tyon's coming off a full year or a full off season of recovering from a foot injury. Jordan Montgomery, while he's a nice pitcher, he's more of a middle-to-back-end-of-the-rotation guy. Nestor Cortez, I think, is more of a jack-of-all-trades-out-of-the-bullpen kind of guy. Domingo Herman, what a surprise, is already hurt, and I'm already sick of his act anyway. And you don't have any of these young pitchers that are really ready for the big time, even though we've seen over the last couple of years bits and pieces of of Davey Garcia and Luis Gill, none of them jump out as truly locked in, ready to be part of this rotation. So, you know, it it really is, it's frustrating, it's aggravating. Right now, you look at this um, offseason for the Yankees, you, you got to give them like a, a C-minus, D-plus, because they improved defensively with getting rid of Gary Sanchez and um, upgraded that shortstop and third base defensively, but didn't get a center fielder, didn't improve this uh, pitching staff, and you could have had Carlos Correa to really you know, make this a great offseason, and instead you let him go to the Twins for nothing. And then there's what hangs over both them and the Mets, and that's the fact that there are players that may not be available for them in their home games this year because of the stupid mandate that was put in by former New York Mayor Bill de Blasio. It's uh, regarding the private sector's employees. Unvaccinated players will not be able to play even with the Yankees and the Mets being outdoor teams. It requires... Um, any in-person workers, which the Yankees and Mets are, um, New York City-based to receive at least one of the COVID-19 vaccines in order to continue work. And they've said that even though the, the whole K2 NYC vaccine mandate for uh, 
indoor spaces like gyms, dining, and entertainment was lifted two weeks ago. They're not sure when they're going to lift it. If they are for, you know, employers in here. And, you know, my biggest problem with this mandate is the fact that, you know, players from outside New York can come and play in the NBA and MLB. But, you know, you could have players on the Yankees missing as much as 92 home games if they don't get vaccinated. Or players on the Mets get missing as many as 83 games. With you know, with the Yankees, you have 81 home games, you have nine games in Toronto, and then two at the Mets. And then with the Mets, you have your 81 home games and and two at the Yankees. And the Mets, you know, are in an even bigger problem here because you know that they were one of those teams that fell short of the 85% vaccination threshold laid out by MLB last year that was required for teams to loosen their uh, COVID-19 restrictions because they had quite a few players that are leaning on the whole ridiculous personal choice rhetoric. But, you know, the Yankees, it could put a a major hamper in the middle of their lineup because, you know, Anthony Rizzo, him being a cancer survivor, he has has not decided yet to uh, get vaccinated. And then there's what hangs over them with the fact that, you know, Aaron judge may or may not be vaccinated. Who knows? Maybe he's doing, he's remaining quiet to keep pressure off of lesser players on the team that he knows aren't vaccinated, or maybe he's just not vaccinated, but it comes at a poor time for him because remember, this is his last time through arbitration. He's a free agent after this year. And you really think that Hal Steinbrenner and Brian Cashman are going to be willing to fork over a big seven to eight year contract extension for a guy that's only going to be available to play in 79 games this year? So it's really, it's a conundrum that the, Yankees have to deal with right now. The Mets have to deal with. I, I, I really have no faith in this whole idea that, oh, we got Randy Levine uh, working with uh, the um, New York City mayor's office um, trying to uh, get the, the restrictions uh, loosened here, get uh, this mandate loosened. It does come off as hypocritical for the uh, the city to continue to have this mandate, especially when you just had the St. Patty's Day parade the other day. And as I said, you let visiting players come in and and play without this mandate. But it, it's just annoying, and, it, and it's just adding on top of what was a an annoyingly frustrating end to the off season for the Yankees that. Like I said, you hope that they're right about Volpe and Peraza, especially Volpe, because if they're not and neither one of them comes anywhere close to the level that Carlos Correa is going to be the next several years, they're going to have a lot of egg on their face and it will be something that Brian Cashman has to hear about 
for the rest of his career. And that, my friends, was Keeping It Sports with M3 for Monday, March 21st, 2022. Everyone have a great night. Have a great week. Stay safe. Stay healthy. And I'll talk to you guys again same time next week. Till then, peace. We have to go. Good night, everybody. I have had enough of you. Thank you for all the fun. Thank you. Hey, shut up, will ya? I don't want to see you. I don't want to hear you. I don't want to smell you. Now leave. I'll be back.